Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Subscriptions for Authors podcast. Now, this episode was filmed like eight months ago. I know this is like a theme, but the theme's ending because I'm getting all the episodes out today. We filmed a long time ago. And this one was with none other than Spencer Russell Botticelli-Smith, who is an incredible author who's been in the Facebook group, I want to say, almost since the beginning. And Spencer has been writing serial fiction. He's a fantasy author, also has some other special pen names on the side. And in this conversation, we cover his full strategy from how he's launching a new pen name, how he's launching his subscription, how he's looking to market his subscription, how he's planning out his production, how he's writing ahead, how he's thinking through scheduling. It is in-depth. It is intense. It is amazing. And if you are looking to be able to walk through your subscription and learn how you can grow it, how you can think through it, how you can set it up, this is the episode for you. You really are getting a live conversation between me and Spencer, recorded in person, about how to think through these things. So I hope you enjoy it. Huge thanks, Spencer, for coming on. And I wish we got this out earlier. Um, so my apologies to you, Spencer, for not getting this out earlier. Now, if y'all want to actually get access to all the content we publish, whether it's our blogs, our fireside chats, the best place is the newsletter. If you're not part of our newsletter, go to subscriptionsforauthors.com. It's linked down below. Just enter in your email. We'll send you a free book. So that's really fun. And in addition to getting a free book, which is always awesome, you are also going to be able to get weekly updates on all the content we publish, which we regularly publish a lot of content, whether it's blog posts, whether it's um, the podcast, whether it's fireside chats, we're always here trying to make your life better as a subscription author. Now, we're going to jump into this episode basically now, and in the next episode, I'll have a special update, but you're going to have to wait till the next episode for that. Okay, and this one, let's dive into it. This is yeah. our first time recording an in-person podcast episode, so thank you oh, for nice. coming down. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, this is super fun, and I know you've been in the group for a long time. I feel like I've known you because we've all followed your journey for so long. But share with everyone listening a bit up to this point what your subscription journey has looked like, and specifically, I know your journey in serial fiction. Yeah, I actually had a failed attempt at a subscription probably back in, I think, 2018 or 17, maybe, which makes me feel very old because it doesn't seem that long ago. But where I'd started writing a serial fiction piece on Reddit under a pen name that I still have, the pen name lasted, the subscription I've had to revamp, but I was just putting out chapters for free on Reddit. I think at that point, because I'd done enough pre-writing, I was doing two chapters per week and that ended up not being sustainable. Mm -hmm. Slowed down to a week and then one every two weeks. And I had set up a Patreon, but I hadn't really heard of early access for that. Like I, in no. my brain, the only really viable thing for Patreon was I need to either make it fully paid, which I didn't want to do, or I need to offer like bonuses or perks or something, which I didn't, I couldn't really think of. Yeah. Um, and I was, that was just something that I was doing to make sure that I was always writing some prose every single day while working on my main fiction under my own name because that I do a lot of pretty heavy outlining. And so I was just posting it for free for a very long time. I actually did get 
I think probably like $150 over yeah. the course of a year on Patreon just from people who wanted to support me. And I think probably like $50 or $60 on Ko-Fi. Not bad. Um, Not yeah. Bad. But then I basically, I just, because I was posting them on Reddit and the posting process on Patreon wasn't great at that point. I just didn't feel like doing the same thing and putting it all on there when my main subscriber base was on Reddit at the time. Yeah. And so I just kept it there. A few of those fell off. But then once I I kept it going since then, basically. And when I heard, I think, I don't know if you were talking. I think it might have just been Amelia on the self-publishing show. Yeah, uh, that, that I've been listening to. Yeah. I think I immediately jumped over to the podcast and searched out the Facebook group and everything yeah. and started talking with you guys and looking at everything there. And I think August of 2022 was when I got the idea to try subscription. And I basically soft launched my Patreon again in like late December of this past year and hard launched on basically first week of January. Yeah. And a little bit before that, I had tried some serial fiction on Kindle Bella, which I've made money from bonuses, but... The bonuses can be nice. Bonuses were nice, yeah. but I haven't really gotten too much of a following on Kindle Bella because right. I'm really not sure how to direct people there. That's just <laughs> a very different game, especially with not safe for work yeah, content, yeah. which is what that pen is. And... I tried doing a few kind of serial novellas on Kindle, which hadn't really worked too well because okay. I a few points where I wasn't clear it wasn't clear that this was a serial novella. But so what I did was I ended up taking my free story, which is still going. That's back to a chapter or two a week because I do it based on word count. Yeah. So if I have two chapters that are short, I'll usually post them both in the same week. I'm posting now on both Wattpad and Reddit, and on Patreon only I have two exclusive stories, nice. or exclusive. I make it clear that you can access this another way, but you're only going to be accessed it either through paying through Kindle Bella or paying through this, and most of my readers either don't want to bother with Kindle Bella because it's not something they're familiar with, and they're more familiar with Patreon, or they're outside of the US, in yeah. which case they can't access Kindle Bella. And then the other one, which I was actually surprised that people are paying for, I think it's, I think it's actually the second uh, most popular tier on there, is a revised version of the serial novellas that I had tried publishing. And so oh, okay. with those, I think I'm about up to 21 subscribers as of this morning, and I think $150 a month, wow. which is... My, I think I talked with you a while ago, my very realistic, not trying to shoot too high goal was three subscribers a month each Definitely month. And that. yeah, I'm I'm 80% of the way there to my goal for the year. So it's pretty good. We're it's recording in April, by the way, yeah. just about quarter <laughs> of the year. So that's, that's amazing. There's a lot to unpack there because I'm immediately thinking, like, how are you keeping up with this because you have multiple pen names, you're writing all these different stories that you're serializing yes. <laughs> all these different platforms, like both from like just your time, but then also organizationally, like how do you mentally keep track of it? Cause I'm just like listening to you. This also does stress me out a little bit. So <laughs> how do you like not stress yourself so out? The, I'm still working on that part. The one thing that I do that I think 
a lot of people I've seen worry about when thinking about starting a subscription on the Facebook group is a lot of people say, okay, I want to start a subscription, but I don't think that I can write at one chapter a week, two chapter a week. I don't think I can write at that pace. And when I see those, I usually go ahead and comment that is looking at it from the wrong way. I know you just want to jump in with your story that you may even have outlined, but that is, that's what creates a problem with people not liking the subscription model and with you essentially failing it as far as you're concerned on the subscription model is that's too much stress for most people. That's too much pressure. And I think that from a story perspective, that's also not a good idea, especially depending on if you're writing a genre like sci-fi or fantasy where you have world building to think about. I pre-write. I, yeah. So I, with my three stories, because you have to wait a while on Kindle Bella to not reach their terms to publish it anywhere else. So that's already a month long buffer that I have with what I'm publishing on Kindle Bella. On that, I am, I think maybe a month out. Like, I think I still have like probably another month worth of chapters I could post releasing two chapters a week on that. But as far as my Patreon goes, which is the one I care more about if I would have to pause or anything, I've essentially written 75% of that story for that single tier. Uh, And I think that's going to last me about a year at the rate that I'm releasing it, which is about, I think, 1300 words a month. And then the other one that's exclusive, I've written the entire thing. I just am revising it because I wanted to take it and target a little bit more of a niche audience with it. Yeah. And then the main one that is free, that one is the one that gives me the most stress out of it because I that one's going to be probably going for another two or three years because I have a lot planned for those characters. But that one still before I, part of why I didn't launch until January is because I wanted to give myself a three month buffer which I had some unfortunate family stuff, some annoying work stuff happen over the past three months. And so that three-month buffer turned out to be a fantastic idea because now that I've gotten back into things, I think I've written up until probably like... So you got now still a little buffer now. Yeah, and I still have a little buffer. And I'm basically just... I have two main perspectives that I'm following in that story. And I've written way ahead on one of those. And now I'm just catching up on the other one so the pacing doesn't get thrown off. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I'm a, I use OneNote to organize. I don't see a lot of people using that. I find it great because I love the collapsible outlines. Actually, um, I used to use OneNote. OneNote's yeah. underrated. Yeah, it, I like it a lot. And I like that you can have two windows open and be referencing everything. But I essentially use that. I I am very detailed in my outlines in the basically steamy romance for my pen name. I don't do as much outlining as I do for my sci-fi fantasy stuff. The world building there requires it. Yeah. Uh, And a lot more character point of view, so a lot more to mesh together. But yeah, I do a lot of outlining so that I know that I'm going to have a good story and I know where the story's going before I write the first word of the draft. That's really, I think, helpful for people here, especially on the buffer part of it. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, because now hearing that, I now understand, okay, you have all this going on, but you really have written it already, and you could feasibly change it in the future. You could change your schedule if somehow your output changes, but it wouldn't be like this instant change. It would be something you change once every six months, once every year. 
And I'm curious because you mentioned 1,300 words for one of your or, tiers. Sorry, 13,000. 13,000. Oh, okay. 13,000. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. okay. <laughs> Good clarification because I was like, interesting. That's I've seen authors with around 1,300 words still monetize a month, yeah. but it's less common. 13,000 yeah. words a bit is a bit more of, I would say, the average. So what we can do is actually pull up your subscription tiers, if you'd like, and start to look through them because we have this monitor here. But before we mm -hmm. get to that, I'm really looking at your subscription. There was a lot of questions that you had, I know, about subscriptions that honestly, they were like, you were asking them before we got on. I was like, these are like, kind of difficult questions. There's not an easy <laughs> answer to them. So I think it'll be interesting to discuss because I want to know what you're thinking. And I'll share what I'm thinking because these are some advanced questions that I think we all have thought about as authors, which, I mean, very clearly, like you for the subscription game, like you're really doing it well. <laughs> so I think just to hear that outline and that you. you're using all these different platforms, mm -hmm. using Vela just to funnel back into your subscription, really growing is, is amazing. But you also then had this question around, how do I basically balance the free or exclusive stuff I give my mailing list? So stuff that you're maybe not putting out in a platform to get new fans in, but something you're trying to convince a fan who's already on that platform to say, hey, give me your email. And yeah. your question was, how do I balance that with content that I'm providing exclusively for paying people my subscription? Yeah, and like to provide a little bit more context or like example so that's less nebulous of a question, or my own my writing that I do under my own name, my sci-fi fantasy stuff, which I'm still working, I'm still doing the pre-writing for before setting up a subscription for that. I have a an exclusive novella that I've written that is not only free to my mailing list, but exclusive to them. So it's not published on Amazon, it's not mm -hmm. published anywhere else. I only give it away via like book funnel or my mailing list automation. And so the thing that I'm trying to weigh is content that is free and exclusive to my list, does my list necessarily extend to the patrons? Because that is, maybe not everybody that's on my subscription platform is going to want to get the weekly, or by I think I do bi-weekly emails for that. Some people might not. And then if somebody comes over from my mailing list to the subscription platform, they might think, okay, I was told that this was exclusive benefit from the mailing list, but now these people are paying for it. Either maybe that doesn't seem fair to them or... you get Yeah, you get yeah. this muddy water. Yeah. I think in general, like if you are using something like as a mailing list freebie, it's definitely not fair to then frame it as a benefit to anyone who's paying. Yeah. So that in terms of balancing that... One thing you could do in a sort of like early access model is mm -hmm. if you want to every once in a while, maybe once a year, provide a novella or a longer short story to your list to keep that newsletter magnet fresh, you can then give that newsletter magnet early access inside of your subscription. So they're only getting okay. it exclusively for maybe three months, and then it's coming out of the subscription to the mailing list. And that then is a little bit more fair because they're still getting to read it before other people. Okay. But it's not this idea that it's going to be exclusive forever. And that's one thing I always hate with authors when they use the word exclusive because mm. I know what exclusive means to me as a reader, which means I'm only getting it here. Yeah. And that might be true for a period of time, but having something, making a promise that something's gonna be exclusive forever, no matter what it is, like I'm gonna write this short story and it's gonna be exclusive inside of my subscription forever. If you say that, that's a very tough promise to follow through on. Not because it yeah. 
in your current business that it wouldn't make sense. Your intentions are beautiful. But what happens, one, if your subscription goes away one day because you decide you don't want to run it anymore? Now, obviously, that seems a little less unfair to readers because like they're probably not paying for it anymore and then you choose to put it elsewhere. But there could be another world in which you decide, oh, wow, there's maybe an opportunity where someone came in and wants to license that story for another platform. Yeah. Maybe there's something that you want to do to repurpose that content and put it in another format, whether that's audio, whether you want to release it on a serial fiction platform. Your content is your content, and you, as the author, have the right to do with it what you want. And you don't want to necessarily restrict that freedom because you made all these promises where you might not have a publisher, but you've essentially allotted your own rights to your work yeah. out. I think you want to be careful about that. Okay. So what I've seen be like a good strategy because early access and exclusive in the world of subscriptions, I think, is different. Early access might only be like, it could be as little as a week, it could be a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. Nothing wrong with that. But what I've seen authors do when they say something's exclusive, they don't actually mean exclusive forever. Mm -hmm. They mean is one to two years. So it's something that they have yeah. no intention of releasing anytime soon. But this idea that maybe eventually all those newsletter magnets that you've had get bundled into a short story collection that you sell directly on your own website or even on a retailer. And then that's not exclusive to the subscription anymore. It allows you to still juice that IP more. Like you deserve yeah. that. So one thing you could then say on your subscription is in a frequently asked question when people are onboarded or maybe at the bottom of your about or section as an author, you can say, hey, when I use the word exclusive, that means like the exclusivity terms are one to two years, something like that. You could okay. say six months. But I would actually, if you want to be as honest as possible with your fans, which I'm always in supportive, you should not ever bake in the expectation that exclusive is exclusive forever. I would rarely gotcha. if ever think, recommend that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. And then with your mailing list, it becomes this kind of thing where you could, if you want to make something exclusive to your subscription, you now have that one or two years that you make it and then know that rotates out to your mailing list. So it's not this either or situation, but definitely timing matters. On day one, you're not going to necessarily be able to provide exclusive content for the mailing list for the subscription and for your free subscribers. Or you could, but then you'd have to write ahead what mm -hmm. you're doing, but yeah. you'd have to go into it like with that plan. Gotcha. And then the other side of that question would be, ARC and beta teams because the common promise yeah, yeah. for indies especially is you get this free ebook copy maybe physical copy if you have a huge audience out there and you know you have people to send it to you get that for free or but the exchanges like you're having to provide a review possibly provide feedback yeah yeah if you're doing that with if you're doing early access and people are paying for that then some of them might think yes okay, why don't I just wait till most of it's out and then Join say, the I want, yeah, I want to be on your beta team. I want to be on your ARC team. And yeah, I can give a little feedback. I maybe yeah. was going to give that anyways on, on the subscription platform. It's tricky because there's a lot of authors, what they'll do for their subscription is not have an ARC or beta team. If you're like, mm -hmm. I'm using this language, like just to try and paint a picture. Like if you're a maybe a subscription first author, a native subscription author, that's not the right way to frame it. But the yeah. idea is that's what you started your business in or mm -hmm. what you're centering your publishing business on. A lot of those authors, including Amelia Rose, doesn't really have an, a yeah. beta arc team. So she's essentially, her beta readers are the people getting early access to her first drafts. And then the benefit is they get to read it before everyone else. She gets 
that beta reader feedback anyways. Yeah. So it, all parties win. But there's two scenarios where this doesn't hold up. One, if you want to have a beta arc team, which you have the right as an author to have that. And then two, if you already have one. So, you know, yeah. th- those are the two things where, yeah, if you're just starting and listening, you take that approach. Now, if you have a beta arc team, I think there's a few things you could do here. So the first thing is if you're doing your model in terms of pre-writing, and this is hard and requires a lot of planning, by the way, and I don't yes, think it it's best for all authors, <laughs> but if you're doing like the level of planning you already are, you could then go even a step further. And like I said, I don't recommend this for everyone, but go a step further and say, I'm actually going to basically like already have to a degree edit this book by the time it, it gets to my early access subscribers and the beta and the arc team basically get it before that and you're making changes based their feedback to then give the early access subscribers a different and hopefully better version so that then the people who are paying for it still are paying for early access but they're mm-hmm. paying for a version that's already gone through the beta and arc team okay so that's one yeah. option Obviously, what that does is two things. One, it, it makes it possible to have a beta art team, but the yes. downside is your development timeline from like ideation to product release yeah. increases. So your actual time to actually go from time as a writer spent writing to inflow of cash also increases. Yeah. Not always maybe a great move for the yeah, business. That's definitely not for everybody. That is 100% for me because this, yeah, good. Th- this is my fourth book that's coming out. It will be out, I think, by the time this airs because we're in April. It comes out in a week from Tuesday. Cool, cool. This was edited, like complete edited last June. Okay, so, this is yeah. for you. This is that's great. I very that would that's what I recommend. But for other authors who are listening and being like, yeah, like the two things you mentioned, I think there's a middle ground. And let me tell you that I think this is it's a little bit harder to pull off, but it's not impossible. Which is, you could and I had authors ask me this all the time with Reem, and this is something that we will be coming out over the summer because you've asked and we shall deliver. But basically, the ability to comp beta readers or arc readers into mm-hmm. your subscription. So they're one of your, basically, they're just in the subscription yeah. already. And in part of that, they will offer your beta and arc reader feedback really inside of your subscription. And they're just not paying for it because you're basically telling them, please offer this like really in-depth feedback if you okay. can. Okay, yeah, I and like that's that. Something that you could then have the CUNY interact into. Other readers would be able to see that beta reader's feedback mm-hmm. and potentially comment on it. So the downside of that is that it's actually like very difficult to do, and no subscription platform at the current moment allows that. Hopefully, you're, you're listing three or four months from now. We've done that at Ream, but that's something that, in this current moment, isn't super easy to do within a subscription platform. But the other solution to that, which maybe isn't as ideal, but does the same thing, is if you're releasing something chapter by chapter, however you're releasing it to those readers in your subscription, you could effectively comp those readers on that content, even though they won't be inside of your subscription. Yeah and give them that book through book funnel, send them that through email, however you want to do it, is that hard then as a paying subscriber realizing that? Yeah, it's a little it's a little tricky. And I think that it's tough to have an open call for both your subscription and for your beta team, but this is where I recommend taking it even a step further. Your ARC team and your beta reader team, because I've talked to so many authors who have dead weight beta reader and ARC teams, like they're not actually doing anything. And you just feel obligated to give these people a free book because they 
already signed up for it and you want to fulfill that promise, but they're dead weight at some point. How you can like really make them active and then be forward that this is a thing in your subscription is actually give them increased status inside of your community. So your ARC reader team, let's say it's 10 people or your beta reader team, let's say also 10 people for simplicity, right? They can get this sort of special like badge, special power in your community where they are actually maybe helping you moderate comments where they're maybe actually helping you spark discussion in your community and actually bringing fans together. So they become this part kind of community manager slash like just super fan reader. And part of the benefit of doing that work and being able to like communicate with other readers, foster that engagement in your community is getting maybe discounted or free comped access. And how I envision this going when we release the feature is that we'll comp the access where the author gets to choose, do I give this reader comped access to a specific tier for a lifetime? Do I give this specific reader comped access for 90 days, 180 days? I think it's also useful too because a lot of times I know authors will put a reader on their beta and arc team who might not actually be giving reviews, but is still a great reader because they might not have the finances to actually even buy their books. Yeah. And in today's day and age, I'll... If you're in Kindle Limited, you aren't going to be in a library. <laughs> so yep. it's just sad that that's how that program works because libraries are a great way to get books. But, you know, what do you say to a reader in that position, right, who wants to read your book, you want to make it accessible? I think that's where a lot of authors have bundled that into ARC and beta reader teams. And that's where this sort of comping in your subscription can be useful. I'll, like I said, I think it's a tougher line to walk, but I definitely would recommend taking that approach based on your individual circumstance, because everyone has a different relationship. With yeah, and I think that team. that idea of, which touches on one of my later questions, having them, having your beta or art team be in your subscription as like a dedicated engagement encourager. Yes, status, that's a good way to think about like it. That, yeah. Like that's a very good way to think about just having, I would gladly have someone subscribe to my Patreon or in the future my Ream and 100% comp them if they go in and they're the ones giving me feedback, sparking discussion, so that not only do I have that from them, but I have that from the other people who want to be involved and see this person. And that's worth so much more than the $5, $10 a month that I would just be getting from them because that goes a very long way. I agree. And that's actually, when you were asking about how do I increase engagement in my subscription, that's, I think it's a tricky thing because... If you're, as an author, trying to build community with your readers, and it's definitely something that like we talk a lot about, and mm-hmm. I love talking about it, but at the same time, I think there's a nuance that sometimes we miss in our advice, and certainly that I think is it's tough to even share because it's just, oh, build your community, it's important. But there's a message underneath that sometimes that can get lost or hard to really understand, which is that doesn't mean you're like best friends with your readers all the time. Some yeah. authors will be, but that's not true for every author. For instance, for you, like your sci-fi fantasy pen name, or you're going to be way more into the world building. You might not want to build personal relationships with your readers, but they're going to build a community around your world, the yeah. fandom of the lore. So in, in your instance, and this does get personalized because the general advice is general, but mm-hmm. if I was to give a specific instance to you on your fantasy and sci-fi pen name for the world building aspects, because that'll be world building driven, I would recommend literally almost encouraging community managers to create like fan lore engage with almost creating your own fan wiki. That's what's going to be like these readers will love the most. It's just getting lost in the fandom. But at the end of the day, you are the guy who's creating the next chapter, creating the next kind of canon. You're the canon of the world who's extending it further. 
and is able to continue delivering them more awesome stories. Now, there is like valuable engagement that you sh- should and can do. If a fan is commenting you, DMing you, it can be great to tell them thanks, great to answer questions about the world, play into yeah. that speculation. But at the end of the day, like you can't farm excitement from people. You have to create that. And you're more likely to create excitement by just creating more awesome immersive worlds in your instance, rather than like trying to engage with your readers and be like, how's your day going? What are you doing next? That would not be my advice to you specifically, which means that then these community manager, arc reader, beta team, label it, whatever you'd like, those people actually can be valuable in assisting that because their whole goal is how do I make basically round out the edges to this world even more yeah that you're inviting them to think about in it with you now that's specific to world building based authors there'll be a lot of authors listening who might be more like relationship personality based in that case like your engagement strategy might look different you might actually want to share posts from your personal life you might want to be like how are you doing how are my readers going being able to build that sort of parasocial relationship between you as the author and the reader. That could be really effective, but I would guess that not every author listening falls into that camp. There's probably quite a few that fall into your camp as well. So that's how I'd recommend for you. And I do have both because on my pen name, that is romance, that is primarily relationship driven. And I have noticed that like when I started this up and I think I listened to a specific episode that you and Amelia did on encouraging engagement. I went through Amelia's stories on Wattpad and looked at all her author notes and tried to just find the common thread. And those do a good amount of heavy lifting for one or two sentences Yeah. after your chapter. I've noticed that they do more within, for me at least, they do more within my subscription than they do just, and on Reddit, than they do on Wattpad. Which that's something that I still need to get used to because like I have, I think my posts on average on Reddit get like thirty upvotes, and I have that's decent. and I have a community though of as seven to eight hundred subscribers to the specific subreddit. Amazing. Whereas on Wattpad, hundreds of views per post, maybe not as many. I think it's votes on Wattpad. Yeah, yeah. But like on Reddit, I probably don't have anywhere near the views on Wattpad that I do. But so more that's engagement. A, but yeah, but more engagement. And the one that I wanted to actually bring up for, I'm going to test this out with my sci-fi and fantasy pen as well with my own name, but something that's been getting a lot of traction for me lately that I have found a few fibers from on my Patreon is posting on the Literatica website. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That, it is. That makes sense. It's actually a very great website for interacting with readers i get a lot i get at least four or five comments per chapter on that and i think a few that's of great. them have ten thousand views whoa on there. that's awesome and i only started posting maybe in february wow yeah that seems like a blue ocean yeah <laughs> that's wild and they do have non-erotic category on there and it's full of a lot of stories. So honestly, that could be a good place to go for even if you're not in a steamier genre. Like I'm definitely going to try that out, see how it works, see if I can get a good yeah. kind of metric for how many people come there. But because that apparently is very, I think, untapped for subscription authors. Like I see some on there doing it, but I don't think it necessarily has meshed with the indie world as much as far as people who are 
trying to make this a business versus people who are like, oh, I'm writing this fun story on here and maybe support me. I will say if you do go on that, the posting is not like the actual posting mechanism. I think it's about 48 hours until your post goes live. Interesting. And it's a little bit clunky. You have to do a little bit of HTML for the italics and bold formatting and stuff like that. Uh, But I, I think where I was going with that is I think posting on different platforms can give you a good sense of where you want to go for engagement and where Mm. you're going to get your readers from, which is something that I'm rapidly learning on that platform that I did not at all expect. That's, I think, a really interesting point because another thing that not only you, I think everyone has the same question, Mm. which is where do you actually find readers? How should you? Yeah. And obviously directing them too, because this goes back into a conversation that we're going to get into between, mm-hmm. are you going to direct them to your subscription, your mailing list, your direct store, all these different places we have as an author? Where do you want to direct yeah. them? But when it comes to actually finding them, I think you mentioned something really important, which is bad experimentation. Because a lot of times we as authors might try that one thing and then see that one thing doesn't work and then just assume that our story is bad or that yeah. it's our fault essentially and that we should just go back to the drawing board. And not... Sometimes that is true. Yeah. And but I've, a lot of times it isn't. I've struggled a lot with that with TikTok. I get yeah. absolutely like no results from TikTok. And I had, I think, a point where I was putting out at least two or three videos a day. Oh, wow. Doing the page flips. They would never get over 300. Like, they, I got two that got like 400 views and maybe one or two that got like 1,000. But I think that, and that, that did make me go, Okay, did I do the wrong cover? Yeah. Is something wrong? You and, guess and, everything. And, yeah, and Facebook ads too. Because, okay, these Facebook ads, they're getting really good cost per click. They're so getting deceptive, shown to, I know, that yeah, feeling. They're, they're shown to a lot of people and zero sales. Yeah, the conversion's not there. Yeah. yeah, and like for me, I know at least I did have not a good blurb. It was not good. But I refined that, still nothing. And so then you go, okay, is my cover on point? Is my cover doing what I want it to? Is is maybe my sample not good? Is there a formatting error? Are there not enough reviews? And I think the thing that I needed to tell myself is I thankfully have some friends who are, like, they are my best friends. They will tell me when I am writing a piece of hot garbage. (laughs) But they will also tell me when, no, stop second-guessing yourself. You're being stupid. This is good. You are just... Not, maybe not hitting find, the right audience. You're just yet. not hitting yeah. the right audience yet. And I think one thing we need to remember, which is a good thing about subscriptions, is reviews, I think, are a lot more powerful than we often think they are. Like, we think we can just go ha- have a promotion service that gets us a lot of downloads and maybe boosts us in the ranking a little bit or have some good Facebook ads or yeah. go on TikTok. But I think, as I've noticed, like when I'm reading indie authors because I'm trying to read a bit more to see what's out there so I can recommend other indies. I 100% look, how many reviews does this have? How are these reviews? Because I want to see this as a book. Is this worth my time reading? Because mm. that's not only books that I'm not spending reading, reading other books that have been highly recommended to me. Yeah, That's also time I'm not spending writing. It's a big investment. Yeah. For anyone too, like whether you're a writer or not, like We all have a million things we could be doing in our lives, a million books plus that we could literally be reading. I think 
you mentioned something really interesting on like the reflective point that I think is really hard because I've faced this myself where something is not working and you immediately go, okay, it's the, this discovery method still valid. Let's say TikTok, Facebook mm-hmm. ads, but it's my product that's wrong. So yeah. you keep making these little tweaks and you can drive yourself insane because almost never do those little tweaks actually make the difference. I think about this because now being in the world of building a startup, all the little things that you could tweak on your own website mm-hmm. are like unbelievable. You could go oh, yeah. into like when you have the code, like we could change like a million different things with Ream to try and make every little thing work. And this is why you have a lot of people say like, A-B testing, A-B test that, A-B test this. Mm-hmm. And I've increasingly, and I've seen a movement towards this broadly, but just increasingly I'm like, not that A-B tests aren't valuable, but especially when you're starting, like you need things to move the needle. We're not talking like a little 10 or 20% improvement. Yeah. You need a thousand percent improvement to survive. Mm-hmm. As an author with 10 subscribers making $50 a month, maybe not a thousand percent improvement. Actually, no, literally you would need yeah, a thousand yeah. percent improvement. To, yeah, that's crazy, right? That's what yeah. you need. So trying to sit there and tweak and get 20% here, 10% here, you have to think about it. Like if I make my subscription or if I make my description like 30% better on my book page, Am I going to convert 10 to 20 times more people? Because that's what I need. And the answer, a lot of times when you're seeing zero conversion, maybe not. Now, that doesn't mean if you like, like you were suggesting, if it's really like a heaping pile of garbage and you do need to be reflective about something like this, then maybe that is the real problem. But I've seen even signs of conversion when there's something there. It might not be refined yet. You might be able to do so much better, but you'll at least see something. If you're really seeing something, just feel like it's not working. A lot of times that just means your story isn't in front of the right audience yet. And how I think about this is where can you actually easily target an audience? And I think about that before I'd even sit down and write the book. Like before Mm -hmm. you even open page one, before you even get the idea, get the cover, think about who am I writing for and where can I actually easily reach them? Because if you're trying to reach a group of readers that you can't reach, then you're setting yourself up for failure. And if you don't know what group of readers you're trying to reach, then you're going to be developing a product that you're just sitting there and trying to figure out what the actual person is that this is actually going to solve their entertainment problem. And you have to do a process of like reader development, searching for what are existing comp titles that I might want to write something similar to, where are those titles succeeding, and where are those readers hanging out? And you have to reverse engineer that process and go, okay, there, what are these three or four books that have been successful? What can I do to create a book that is similar, but just different enough to be better in many respects to hit that same audience? That is like the most engineered way to like, the word right to market is used a lot, but oftentimes I think we conflate right to market with going to Amazon, checking the categories, seeing the top rankings and limiting our market to that view. And I encourage people to write to community instead, especially if you have a subscription, write to maybe even existing relationships you already have. If you're active in a Facebook group that has a bunch of readers in it, then try and write that next book for them and DM a few of the readers that you might already know. That's kind of the way to reverse engineer it. But when it comes to where to find readers, I think oftentimes you only need one like acquisition channel to actually work. I mean, like... Someone like Mark Dawson, I think he's great. In Facebook ads, he talks a lot about, just talked about his mm-hmm. podcast, the self-publishing show. Yeah, he's done well with Amazon ads. He's tried little things here and there. But really, Facebook ads are what made his career. That was it. Is Facebook ads going to make everyone's career? No. Yeah. And th- <laughs> nothing, no slight on him, no slight on anyone that doesn't work for or people who it works for. There's different strategies and methods for everyone. 
but you just have to find that one way. Like you're saying Literotica is working for you. That might not be, I don't know where that website at, that might not be a huge enough market to penetrate yet to actually grow to the size you want, but it might one day be. So do you want to go all in on Literotica? Do you want to see that? But until you get there, I think your strategy of testing as many places as possible in the beginning is key. What are like the little hooks that you can throw out into all these different places to test if there's something there, if there's something there. And also if you like it, because even if you have one TikTok video you do well, if you hate TikTok, you're not going to be happy doing that. Yeah. Just period. Like you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And I've, and I mean, the strategy that I'm doing, which I would recommend as far as experimentation is I first did Wattpad after Reddit, because that was where I found my initial subscriber base. Wattpad, I think Amelia gives some advice on one of the podcasts. Follow her advice. She probably has it much more thorough, but basically don't just post a chunk of your chapters because you are trying to build a serial audience. So you do want to try and come up with a good interval for posting that. Maybe you start out one a day. If you have a full complete story that you just want to get out there, that's what I'm doing with Literotica. Maybe post twice a week. Go at your own schedule. That's whatever's comfortable. If you do have a complete story, that's a really good way to test with because then you hopefully have seen at some point, like, this is a good story. People like it when they get to the end. People want to go on to other free story I have, my subscription, whatever it is, they would go on to on that. But I would recommend do that one at a time so you can have some very clear metrics. Don't, because I think there's Archive of Our Own, there's Inkit. Oh, there's there's so many sites. Royal Road. Don't go- At least a dozen plus reputable ones. Don't go, I'm going to post one chapter on every one of these sites every Sunday. You have no idea what's converting. Yeah. You will have no idea where people are coming from. You can maybe ask them down the line, but like that means that it'll be so much more effort for you by the time you get to that complete story, even if it's only like 20 chapters and you go through that in 20 days before you find out this platform does work. That this takes platform patience. Doesn't work, that takes patience. Does. That's the hardest but, part. But that's what that's the game yeah. that we're in with yeah. with subscriptions. Where yeah. I'm like the re- part of the reason that I gravitated towards this is because I'm in the I hope I can write all the stories I want to write before I die mindset. Yeah. I need to make sure I live long enough to write all these stories. I'm not in the I want to write two books and make a lot of money from that and then just be able to do whatever I want with my life. No, I, mean, I yeah. <laughs> that's just like incredible advice. And I think that Maybe other people have highlighted some things like that, but that that was a unique and great take. And I think that you've had a unique way of being disciplined in that manner. Because a lot of times, even if we like say, feel the way that you do, which I know you feel that way, I feel that way at my core, we still have this kind of side that's pulling us towards this sort of like instant gratification author success. And you have to constantly look at that and be like, wait, I'm not trying to just make $1,000 a month tomorrow, although like that would be great, but I'm actually trying to build a system that I can predictably continue making that. And if you don't, like you said, know where readers are coming from, you're just basically throwing stuff at the fan, you will have no idea what's working, what's not, how you should spend your time. Oh, yeah. And it can be unbelievably demoralizing when all those 12 avenues, best case, one of them works out, then you have a fun problem to figure out. Whoa, they, yeah. one of them worked and I, I don't really know. I might still be wasting my time, but at least I'm making money. Great for you if that happens. That still is problematic because you might not know how to scale that correctly. But 
If you don't find success in those 12 strategies, you now didn't build on your lessons between those strategies to yeah. execute the next time better. And you probably feel way worse about yourself than you should because you didn't, it's not that you are bad or that your books are bad. You just didn't give yourself the time to yeah. learn. And you're going to have some level of burnout there too. Because yeah. posting is a lot of work. And like, it's not what we sign up for. Yeah. <laughs> not like just posting, not writing, not doing anything yeah. like that. Just posting. I think I posted, it took most of the day to post like 14 chapters that I had already written. Like yeah. that. that is, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's the kind of thing that you might feel tired after you write because it's, an emotional experience, or you at least feel satisfied. You don't feel satisfied after the 14 chapters. Yeah, no, you like, happy like it's you out, made but... measurable, like, especially if you track your just, that's another way for organization. I track the hell out of my writing, and yeah. not even my writing, but the progress I am making on my outlines and my drafts of each book. I do need to get a little bit better about that, because I've let that part fall off a bit, but... I like if you are tracking your progress, one of the kind of dangers of that is when you're doing stuff that's just I'm posting all these chapters, I'm doing this, and you're not actually writing or editing or anything like that, then you feel like I haven't made any progress. Because yeah. honestly, like you've done the necessary admin work, but you haven't made progress. You've mm. just kind of put it out there. And so that's why if you are going to try experimenting, I do very much recommend do one a day at the most. Yeah. Don't try dumping a bunch of chapters on there because if you do one a day, that's manageable. That's right. You set a 15-minute timer. That's not a huge chunk of your day. But if you're trying to do 20 of those, that's suddenly like three to four hours of your day that yeah. you've done. And you just will be in that mindset where you're now like, I'm in the pressing buttons mindset. I'm not in the writing mindset or the creative mindset. And if you made the mistake of doing that before you started writing for the day, then that kind of just impacts an entire day's worth of progress that you could have made mm -hmm. writing or reading or researching something. And it like, for me, it, it just throws me. Like I, I make sure to always do my writing in the morning so that I have nothing else getting me in a different mindset yeah, until I finish at least thing. a minimum amount. That's, there, there's gonna be night writers listening and that's great. Yep. But whatever like for you gets you in that zone, you have to keep that time, time is sacred. Now, I love that advice, and it makes me start thinking about, now that you bring those fans in, let's pretend like this is working, it's working yeah. for you. Now you're having, I think, good, but still a problem of, where do I direct them? And specifically, I wanna ask you, how are you thinking about kind of these different areas you can funnel fans into with direct sales, have your subscription, you also have your mailing list. How are you thinking about these three areas in terms of where you're directing fans? Yeah, and so that's, I think, one of the other questions on there too. But the way that, so the way as far as subscriptions that I see as the two best ways to direct people there is you have your warm and your cold, basically. Yeah. Warm is your mailing list. I 100% want to grow my mailing list as much as I can. I still need to go, come up with a good process for kind of trimming the fat because... How are you growing your mailing list? Primarily through book funnel promos. Okay, cool. Just because that is a relatively low effort one that I can yeah. do right now while I'm focusing more on writing because I need to do that a bit more immediately. I think I have almost a thousand people per pen on my mailing list. But 
they're not necessarily super, super active on there. Like right. I, when I send out an email, I'll usually get three or four responses back. That's actually not um, bad. Well, yeah, which, isn't, bad. which isn't bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Yeah. But so for them, I on my on my pen name that I currently have my subscription set up, I have my automation and I have, I think my, here's your freebie. Hey, just checking to make sure you got your freebie and whitelist my email. Do you want to read ahead and be an ARC reader for anything? And then one that's encouraging reviews. And then my fifth one, which I think they will probably get, I think that's basically a month out from having gotten my reader magnet and being on my subscription or being on my mailing list. They get, hey, here's my subscription. And I'm even thinking of modifying that a bit more because I already have a little lead-in at the end of my reader magnet, both to my subscription and the free platforms. But I think I do want to try, and I may already do it, direct them immediately with that first email to where I post my free story. Because I think that is where all of your cold leads should go. If you're posting on TikTok, if you're posting on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, I don't think that pointing people to your Patreon is a good idea. I think that is going to be a waste of your effort. I think what you want to do is you want to build excitement about your, ideally, if you have a free story. I think that if you're following the subscription model, you can do exclusive. Yeah. It's worked well for me. Yeah. But I think that's because I have my free story. That's getting people already excited about you and about... Yeah, and that hooks them into the characters. And so they may not want to read... They may not want to do the early access one. They may want to only do the exclusive ones, which are about other characters that appear in that story. That's smart. Um, really smart. And yeah, and because if you're directing someone toward something that's free... That's so much less friction than anything paid, than anything where you're signing up. Was that what you have to build that trust, too. Yeah, I mean, and imagine then, just going to a random author that you don't really know yet. You've yeah. got one email, probably haven't even read their freebie yet. Yeah. And then they're asking you to pay them three, five, ten dollars a month. Yeah, that and because be that's not even that's not even paying. That's also I I didn't really have a Patreon account until a little while ago, until I'd seen a ton of people advertising their Patreon and I found like one or two creators that I'd been following for a two or three years that I was like, you know what? I do want to support them. I don't even care about their benefits. I just want to support them. And because I know I am the worst person ever for social media, like I will be right out with that. Like I was of the opinion, I'm going to stay off social media as much as possible. It just sidetracks you from everything you want to get done. When I am on social media, I don't upvote things. I don't (laughs) like things. I don't comment on things. I have started doing that now because I understand how it helps creators. Yeah. But I just have to think, all right, what would get me to actually go ahead and pay for something? Yeah. yeah. And it's directing people to that free material because there's no commitment for them there other than a little bit of time, especially with a serial. They're not reading a whole book. They're reading something that, for all they know, could be five chapters, could be just the one chapter, and they don't have any investment in it. They don't even have a Kindle Unlimited like taking up one of their spots yeah. of books that they're renting. They can read as much as a, of it as they want. If they don't like it, you didn't want them going to your Patreon anyways or your Ream anyways. If they stick with it, they're is so much higher of a likelihood that they're just going to get through to some point in your story that is going to convince them, they need I it. want more yeah. of this, rather than some 
line that you came up with that or some caption or post or funny jumping on a trend or something like that that you did in a TikTok or an Instagram reel or Instagram post even and spent anywhere from 15 to minutes to like an hour going through and making that post, posting at the right time of day, engaging with profiles around that to encourage engagement on your own post. That's all extraneous effort that can be put down to five minutes of post a quote from the recent chapter that you posted that week Put that up on your Instagram with a color, a background that relates yeah. to your story in some way. And if someone finds that interesting, and just in your caption, check out my free story. If someone finds that interesting, maybe you can put a little bit more effort into that. But they'll go yeah. to that, and then that's where they want, that's where you want them being. Want them being on that free story, that free platform, that there's no commitment for them because that's what's going to determine whether or not they become that fan or even that super fan. I couldn't agree more with this. I mean, it's exactly what I believe. I think that's the thing that people sometimes mistake about subscriptions and I get the questions all the time about, can I run a Facebook ad to a subscription? And I'm like, I don't see that being a great idea. Run it to your story. Yeah, run it to your story. Yeah, yeah. It's not that you won't, it's not that advertising can help you eventually grow your subscription, but as you're suggesting, it's further down in the reader journey. It's just something Mm -hmm. that, you need a high degree of trust in order to start paying someone monthly. And you're not going to be able to create that trust in an ad. People are willing to take a risk on a free story, maybe a one-time ebook purchase, all these sorts of things that, Mm -hmm. oh, that sounds good. I'll just try it out. Yeah. That's not the subscription buying process. You don't go, oh, that sounds good. I'll just start paying them $5 a month. That's, it's not an impulse type of thing. So it's further down. And you're talking about direct sales. And I'm curious, viewing kind of direct sales, let's say like on your own website, selling mm-hmm. ebooks, merch, selling sign books, selling anything versus a subscription. How do you view those kind of? So I think that direct sales is definitely something that I want to get to at some point. I don't think I'm ready for it yet because I don't think I have. I think direct sales is for people who can, from what I've seen, bundles. If you can offer any sort of yeah. bundle, whether it's multiple stories paperback ebook audiobook or even probably just paperback or physical and ebook like that is when you want to be able to start going towards direct sales i haven't looked up into how much having shopify and everything like that is that's on my to-do list but that is something that i want to do at some point like i want to fully create disneyland for my subscribers love it. Um, I love for it. my audience but i think that especially with the way that Amazon's platforms have restrictions around them and subscription platforms don't as much. I think direct selling and subscriptions go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. Because you can go ahead and you can, you're not necessarily hurting yourself by throwing your book up on Draft to Digital Print, Draft to Digital, all the websites that they go to on Amazon as long as you're not in Kindle Unlimited. Because then, you can have your subscription beforehand and you don't necessarily have to take it down after you're complete with that book and you launch it either on your website or on one of the other platforms. I think, honestly, for this, there may be better examples, but like Brandon Sanderson is a fantastic example of this because with his Year of Sanderson thing, he's effectively been going, all right, I got all these people who like... It is essentially, it's not a full like subscription as much as we're thinking of it, but like 
It's they basically yeah. did like a big one time. I'm purchasing the year subscription yeah. from him, and so he's going. Yeah, you guys basically all got early access to, to four everything. books in all yeah. the formats, and then to all the boxes as yeah. well. Because he's going ahead and direct selling. I don't know if he's doing the full boxes, but he's doing a lot of the merch from the boxes. He says, once my subscribers get this, once the people who paid up front for this get it, you can order it off my website. And yeah, he'd be shooting himself in the foot if he didn't do that because yeah. everybody like myself who subscribed to the year of Sanderson is they're going on TikTok, on YouTube, on whatever, posting about not just the books, not just the actual content of the books, but the presentation of the books, what you get in the book boxes and like the fun that they're having with those. And people are like, I saw someone doesn't have a backpack to put the pins on that he's giving out so he 3d printed basically like a clock with the cosmere symbol on it no way and is putting all the pins on those that's beautiful Um, yeah yeah and so because of that he's now getting people who are basically in his facebook group but maybe weren't on his subscription platform to go hey you should go buy this after the fact because it's awesome and look at all this cool stuff we're getting and the only, for me, the only issue that I see with that as indies specifically, and this may change, I don't think it's the technology is there yet, but audio. Because mm. what I have been working on, and actually the thing that I was going to open up my ream under my name was, was early access audio. Um, where I already have my books out, and I was going to start doing in a chapter a week with audio and then make a tier where basically I have like author commentary at the end. Yeah. So you can get that as well. Cause a lot of people do that. If it, oh, yeah. like again with subscriptions, you're not looking for the, like, I want to appeal to everybody. You're looking for the people who are going to see something that has your name on it and click buy no matter what, because they're like, I absolutely love everything this author puts out. Even if, I even if this is a four star for me instead of a five star, like I think all their other stuff is, I want to support them. I want to take part in it. People like that are going to love if you do like an annotated version of your book or if you do audio commentary. Totally. That's probably the easier way to do it, as yeah. far as especially if you wanted to try and do something physical. But then the only issue with that for me is that delay that makes. If I'm doing it the way I am doing it, where the ebook and physical book is already out, that delays the direct selling bundle a little bit. So if I ever do get to the point where I'm having like a, I'm not launching on Amazon, I'm not launching on Barnes and Noble or Kobo or whatever, I'm launching on my website and I'm launching with my direct selling bundles that I'm giving out, I can't necessarily do the full bundle that I think would appeal to a lot of people and I think is a big hook of direct selling, which is physical ebook audio or just audio somewhere in there with that bundle at the time of launch. That's because your production would be almost staggered in a sense because you're yeah. going to do audio. Yeah, because the way that I had it planned out before I realized, oh, this is a fantastic way to do things as far as direct selling and bundling was basically I was thinking publish the ebook or do the early access ebook up until the ebook and the physical book release and then start doing audio for that. Yeah. And you know what? That may vary. That may be just a 
Some people it works better if you just launch and direct sell with the bundle. Some people, your readers may want to go, all right, hey, I read this book and now I want to listen to it. Yeah. And I think that's, again, experimentation. That's very high investment ex- experimentation. But it's experimentation that I think you've just got to do, got to figure out not only what works for you, but what works for your readers. Well, it's interesting when you say like high investment. It's true it's high investment, but your readers can actually help fund that because if you Mm -hmm. start the audio tier that they then start to subscribe to, before you actually release the bundle, you're able to have already made money from that product that'll be in the bundle. That's where I think, because we were talking about subscriptions, direct sales, and like how to think about it. I really like how you're thinking about it. And it's not an either or scenario. It's definitely both. And subscriptions are for the super fans it's not only for getting those things early access but it's also for the convenience of not they already know they want to keep buying from you so they literally don't even have to decide to buy from you again yeah it's just automatic which for someone who like already loves your work it's just so much less of a headache they just can get it sent to them when it's ready when you make that promise and then the other thing obviously with the subscription is it's like the ultimate bundle because you're not only bundling the actual like content itself potentially is like you be- tiers tiers go higher or you benefit mm-hmm. stack but you're bundling the cuny the connection to you the connection to your fellow readers all of it in one place that you're getting like the vip access for so it's really like thinking about a concert and thinking about the people who are at the front row in the pit like that vip experience people yeah. are paying for that but then eventually you release the cd all that other stuff and i think for authors then launching what you're doing outside of your subscription onto your site makes an awful lot of sense. And yeah, Sanderson is probably the most advanced in the world at it by far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think trying to decode what Sanderson's doing, it with the audio in particular, it is tricky in the current stage because it's relatively easy to produce an ebook and then a paperback book yeah. in concurrence but audio takes later one thing to remember though is that if you're selling direct you don't have the review process of audible or people so that cuts down on that time yes so then it really is just trying to translate what you're doing to an early access release and i think i have two or three ideas here so one is that if you're working with a narrator who is flexible and actually willing to like do these draft chapters with you that could mm-hmm. be one option that's probably the worst idea because it's the most expensive yeah because you're going to have them probably do it again if you make changes mm-hmm. the second version is probably what you're best suited for which is and again this now increases your product development timeline even more but this is essentially what sanderson did he wrote those books all ahead of time mm-hmm. he got that audio produced like right around then and yeah. then 2021 is the year that you actually like launched and get the paid for that subscription. You've already developed the product. 2023 is when you actually, or 2022, 2023 is when you start rolling it out. And then you have 2024 is 2023, like the next year is when it's yeah. going to go out to the public. It's getting complicated with the years, but I think that strategy is interesting if you're willing to make that more upfront investment. The key in that is that you don't necessarily have to do it all out of pocket because your subscribers can literally start to fund that from day one. If you're making two payments to a narrator upon completion and maybe mm-hmm. one at the start, if you're able to get your fans to sign up first month, you now have that money to go and take and pay that narrator. And there might not be a ton out of pocket if you do the cash flow. But the third option, and I think is what you were alluding to with technology, is obviously utilizing some sort of 
auto-narrated yeah. type of thing that can even potentially narrate your first drafts. And then you could even have a human narrator go and do the final draft for publication. But how do you do early access audio? Yeah. And actually, I, I like that a lot because I was going to say, like, I've tested out both the auto narrator with the stock voices. It's not incredible with, yet, no. With making a cop with voice cloning. Yeah. I was actually doing an accent for one of those versus my own voice to see how each of the one, the accent one, was less computerized, which was weirdly enough. So I like they're weird still. Like I, but I wasn't satisfied with any of those. But I do that point that make the point that they're draft chapters. Yeah. And so to your subscription, you're saying you get these on you get these audio chapters before anyone else, and then maybe make a perk. You just you've already paid for all this. You get the audiobook for free once you have an actual human narrator. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think because there's two kinds of audio readers and I appreciate really great audio, but from like a utility perspective, I have more ear time than I have eye time <laughs> in my day. So I'm going to just more conveniently and more, more able to consume content that's audio based. So a lot of times there might be even a long essay that I'll just do speech to text with, which sounds horrific. It's not good, but I'm still consuming it. And that's ultimately what I want to consume the story. I oh, want yeah. to experience and it. I didn't even think you were going from that perspective because I like that's a great point. But I was going to say my one of my best friends and my mom are both dyslexic. And yeah. yeah. Fantasy and sci-fi, of course, just exacerbate that like beyond belief. And so for them... Like, that's how the, how they're most likely to read my book. And that's where they can yeah. read it and enjoy it. Because I, like, my friend, she was like, I tried reading your book because there are different names and stuff, even if you've told me how to pronounce them. Because it throws, of my throws dyslexia, you out of the it throws me out yeah. of it, and it makes it more effort. And I don't want to associate that with your books. With pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, you're supposed to be reading for fun. And she's like, and I'm excited to experience your story. Let me know when you have it out in audiobook and I'll probably listen to it in two days. And that's also <laughs> like for people who don't know how prevalent dyslexia is, it's estimated that between 10 to 12% of people have dyslexia. So very common. And obviously everyone has different kind of Severities, different ways mm-hmm. able to cope with it and different reading abilities as well. But the bottom line is that there's a lot of people yeah. that fall into that camp. So I think that's right. And then having the professional produce audio later does two things. One, for the people who like really don't want the auto-narrated stuff up front, mm-hmm. they don't have to listen to that. Yeah. But if you really want the early access, you're getting two different kinds of experiences. It's like the person reading the first draft story versus getting the final published version. And because you're using an auto-narration, I think it does seem fair that you would then give them that final audiobook when it's done. They could send it to them for free as kind of part of it. And I would feel like that's fair as a reader. And for you as an author, you're having to produce the audiobook when it's ready and have now made a bunch of money from all these months on the auto-narrated subscription yeah. to fund that. So that that would be my advice on doing that. And then, of course, you could then take that final version. The benefit of being the early access was that you got the auto-narrated version. No one else yeah. will see that again. That was the first draft, early access version. Thank you for being a subscriber. Thank you for supporting me. And you got access to it potentially like months if not even a year starting at least on chapter one before others and then when it's out you can sell directly that audiobook and now you already have the new auto narrated version 
in the subscription, just the system keeps yeah. going and going. And since something that I thought of since we were talking about Sanderson, this wouldn't obviously wouldn't be for everybody, but he, I think with each quarter or something like that, or like when he was talking about the secret projects, he did a reading of yeah, the first few chapters. Yeah, you could do that as well. So you could just do, yeah, instead yep. of auto-narrating, because I know for me, reading out loud really does help me catch a those, lot of like, n- not yeah. even the errors, but just like the, this sentence could be written better. Uh, yeah. So like you could just go through that and you're doing, you're both producing a product that also I think feels a little bit more intimate to your readers, where yeah. it's you reading them a story. But and then then, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to take the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you can just pause it and be like, I messed up there, or I need to rewrite oh, and, this sentence, and, actually, and I'm going to re-edit that. I will recommend a software that I recommend everyone use if you're going to take this approach to editing audio. Use a software. It's called Descript, and you can basically plug in all the hours that you do and edit your audio like a Word doc. So it's like crazy. <laughs> so you can control F, take out the spaces, take uh, out the ums. I need that. So if you're like reading, obviously 30,000 cha- words in a day, you're going to sit down for two or three hours and do that. One, you're going to be exhausted, but two, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to have to edit this for 10 hours. And audio and editing is the worst. It, it is. You <laughs> do all those different things. But in reality, control F can take out all the spaces, can take out all the weird parts. And then as long as you remember some sentences you want to take out, since this is your first draft, feasibly, I'm being honest here because I'm all about saving time. You could probably edit three hours of audio in 30 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes, if you are willing to trust that the computer found all the mistakes, which I can tell you, because I've edited probably 50 hours using this software, that it undoubtedly fig- finds all the filler words, finds all of the ums, all of that. It's crazy. So I'm if, definitely you, looking into if that. you do that, <laughs> then you know the editing kind of process becomes, do you want to re-listen to your whole thing? Do you want to re-listen to the whole audio version? You might want to do that because one, that's helpful for you to write a better next draft. And then two, it might ensure it's a good experience to the readers. But you also might not want to do that. And honestly, it's probably going to come out 90, 95, if not 98% really great. And it would obviously save you all those hours, which is huge. And you could also, if you want to speed up the listening back, listen to it at a two or three X playback. Two X is probably what I'd recommend. Three X is a lot. You could save like hours and hours of time doing this. And then if you want to one day have a contractor who does this for you, just tell them to use this software because now you're going to save them time. And that's what we do with this podcast now, actually. Like we hire someone, they spend several hours editing each podcast, but they have the time to like actually think about the cogency of it. Think about, is this coherent? Is this working well? Rather than like making a hundred different cuts for the ums and the spaces. Yeah. It's incredible. So, no, there's a lot that's of crazy a, stuff to awesome. do now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. So I think there's a lot of different approaches to audio and being able to create that bundle. Like you said, I think you you mentioned about experimentation and being able to give subscribers more of the content they want, but being able to do that and not hype something up that's really coming a year later type of deal. You don't want to be like, hey, I know you all are interested. I'm working on it. It's going to take a year. That feels like a long development timeline. It definitely depends on kind of your genre. But my general advice is to, for your subscribers, reward them. If you want to take this approach of experimenting and iterating Mm -hmm. with your subscribers, which is a genius approach, create short bite-sized pieces of content that fulfill that desire that may or may not one day lead into something bigger. Meaning, okay. yes, if they're telling you, we want this is your next book, 
they understand you're not going to materialize a book out of thin air. Yeah. That's coming up in the timeline. <laughs> I got to finish this series, everyone. That one's coming after that next series, so give me some time. But if your fans are like, we really want to see more of this character. We want to really want to see more of this scene. We really want to see this type of maybe more insight into this area of the world, maybe a world-building map. I think this is where bonus content can be really healthy in a subscription. I don't recommend authors just coming out here and like firing out the bonus content canon without mm -hmm. having your fans explicitly tell you, I'm interested in this. And for erotic romance pen name, for instance, for senior romance, it's great to have those steamy one-shots. Those do really well. Yeah. So if fans like interested in more of something, you can just turn around, pump out a thousand words, steamy one-shot. That they just get in the subscription. You could, like I said, repurpose that a year or two later elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You're now being able to test things. Like, test, is this? did this concept work? Do they like this character more? Maybe that's my next book. Likewise, when it comes to especially, like, we're talking about bundling with, like, book boxes and direct selling eventually. Yeah. If you think about the ultimate end goal of a year and a half from now, I have this book box that's sitting on my website that just becomes a product now. Mm -hmm. I can sell. I've essentially productized the experience to my subscribers. Then you can think about testing that experience with subscribers. Every month, they might get a little thing in the mail. They might get a digital wallpaper, a digital map and you're just testing to see which ones are they responding to most make it low cost make it something that's profitable each month mm -hmm. but then you now are testing this sort of thing that gets to go in that book box later that gets to be a product that other people can buy and maybe those subscribers end up getting some of the failed experiments that yeah. might not go well but that's actually a benefit for them because now they got something that wasn't super well received you don't want to put it out in a product later yeah but they're the only ones that ever have that it's like that exclusive yeah. drop. Yeah, and you, you gave them something a little extra. Yeah. And now it is exclusive. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and that now is it really is exclusive. So your experiments like can't go wrong in that sense. Yeah. Because like at if it as long as you make it profitable for yourself in the moment, in the month over month revenue, you look and go, okay, I'm spending ten percent of my subscription revenue on this experiment. So worst comes to worst, this is my investment in seeing future revenue growth if I can figure out another product that works. Make my fans happier, make them stick around longer. And as long as you keep your downside very limited, that and in terms of time as well, if you're investing into bonus content, don't like make every throw away your latest book to develop bonus content. Yeah. Here and there. That's how I think I would do it. And then you could use polls and other feedback mechanisms to actually get fan feedback on what those next things should be. Because the odds are that both you and the fans will have more ideas than you can execute. Now you might not want to listen to your fans to a T, but it's very useful to know. Ooh, they're saying they really like this one. Maybe I should try out this short story next, or maybe I should make this map, or maybe I should like, try and get this sort of character art and send them a print. Mm -hmm. I'm throwing out like too many examples almost, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's like an idea of how I'd approach it. Yeah, and that's something that I think that was, I don't know if it was explicitly one of the questions that I had, but I think it was something that was I maybe put under it as a subnote, was I think it's kind of, I think we, with subscription authors we have a pretty good idea of how to do fiction yeah we have a pretty good idea of how to do non-fiction at least if you i think if you kind of look at youtube i think that's usually the best place to do it because yeah. that's literally just you're making something that is either helpful or is just entertaining but not fiction and like you can just look at a ton of successful youtubers if see if they have a patreon like they they know how to do that. They will yeah. know how to do that way better than I will be able to explain. But then you have that that bonus content, which kind of straddles the line between the two of them. It does. Which I don't know how much this would go to, like, romance. It might go more towards, like, 
thriller or mystery or even historical fiction, but I think it's going to be mainly like sci-fi fantasy is if you want to do that bonus content on a larger scale, like how George R. R. Martin did his World of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Like yeah. that, I would not, like though it has some snippets of fiction in there, I wouldn't necessarily call that fiction. Mm. I would, yeah. that's more of a fictionalized nonfiction, essentially. Because yeah. that's his bonus content, where that's like something that you're not going to buy if you're not a super fan. But I think you're also highlighting something, which is smart bonus content, if it's like, digitally based, it's story content based, could be repurposed for discovery on different platforms. Yeah. And I think every genre would have a different type of thing, but essentially when it comes to things like sci-fi and fantasy or historical fiction, like you were mentioning, you could imagine bonus content and historical fiction related to a deep dive of research into your Mm -hmm. world. And that same research article could basically be like literally used for early access bonus content in your subscription. Like mm-hmm. I suggest with all content in your subscription, don't just limit it to it. You could then repurpose that for being a video essay on YouTube. You could repurpose that for being a blog post that goes in your website, a blog post that you try and get out into maybe having a thread on Twitter or whatever platform exists mm-hmm. as short form content. By the time you listen to this, we'll have to see where Twitter goes. Then you could have the thread and do all these sorts of things. and. I've definitely seen more and more fiction authors either partner with creators who are doing this for advertising Mm -hmm. purposes or literally going and doing this themselves because there's so many eyeballs on those platforms. The, I guess the one downside to it is it's, you don't know if everyone's a reader on those platforms. Yeah. And when you're creating that kind of bonus content, you might capture people who are really interested in the bonus content, but want it in that medium and don't actually want to go and read your books, which is where you might want to then create more bookish bonus content, which would be book reviews, yeah. all these other things that like, if you're creating bonus content that's related to book reviews or maybe niche movie reviews that like really probably are going to hit readers anyways, yeah, like, very rarely are people outside of that genre going to read it. And that's someone like Daniel Green on YouTube. He's like super big in fantasy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and he also published a book and it's done yeah. freaking really well, yeah. really well. So this is his strategy as well. And he's definitely, I would say 80% bookish content. 100% fantasy content. Yes. So if you are in a fantasy, you're going to watch Daniel Green. And he's got several hundred thousand subscribers. And I just, I think that, to be honest, it's a very untapped thing for most authors because I don't think, like, truly, like, authors who've really focused on honing in their great storytelling and learning this publishing business have also developed those skills in tandem. For certain people who have that skill set desire, yeah. it can be knockout. Yeah, and I actually watched one of his recent, not when you guys are seeing this, but when we're recording this, I probably have the same video on how he did with his yes. self-publishing. And a point that he made was that him having a YouTube... It was a cheat code. Yeah. yeah, it was a cheat code. And like, even if you have a smaller YouTube channel... Still amazing. It's still a cheat code. And it is potentially a gateway to not only a much larger YouTube channel, but a much larger following for your books and oh, your books blowing up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and on that, I think that, I think he also issued a challenge for us in that video because he did seem a little skeptical of the subscription model, which yeah. I think that, but his, all of his skepticism of that scene pointed on, can you actually deliver the complete story? Like when you say you do. 
Yeah. So I think that maybe we should take as a challenge to be like, all right, I'm going to make sure that I just finish my story, that I set a consistent pace for myself, whether that's once a week, once a month, whatever, where that's, I think, is a call for kind of what you and Emilio especially have been encouraging, which is be very transparent with your readers, be very clear about what you're getting from each tier, and consistency not being every day, every week, just being... What works for you. What works for you at whatever interval it is. That's, that is the biggest, I think, I agree with his criticism only because I think that it's, especially in the YouTube ecosystem, so in the author ecosystem, and there's, I think, more so why this is the case is because YouTube leans younger, and I would say that there's been a lot more people who maybe have joined these things and not even, like, being a degree of, like, less self-awareness. This mm-hmm. isn't always true. YouTube's gotten a lot older in the last five, four years, really. But up until that point, subscription platforms and subscription services picked up in YouTube and podcasting long before they picked up in the book market. And, yeah, and so, most of the stuff on there was younger readers yes. doing fan fiction yes. and not doing their original stuff. And I had quite a few where I was, like, I got to chapter, like, 80 and then, yeah, then, it's it, done. And it's done, but it's not done. I need more yeah, chapters exactly. of this. And that's you the didn't worst. tell a complete story. It's the worst feeling. And what happens to that, and this is why I think subscriptions have taken a bit longer to take off, because on free reading platforms, this would happen all the time. The expectation of the person is, okay, this is free, and I got burnt, and that stinks, but there's more free stuff. And that's still a bad experience. I'm not going to yeah, doubt, but doubt it. I but, didn't pay for it. Yeah. I enjoyed what I did read. I'm going to go find the next story, and I just hope that there is another good story. Yes, Amazon and other retailers have been more complete books. Again, a lot of books maybe weren't to a reader's taste. You've seen the good books rise to the top. Subscriptions, we've actually literally seen like this demand for the market, but not actually like enough authors taking it seriously and doing it well to build that long-term trust. So there's yeah. been certain things like Daniel's alluded to in his video that I think are true that, yeah, when someone gets, we're all in this together. Like if someone gets burnt by an author's subscription once or twice where that promise like leaves them off in a cliffhanger in the middle of the book and that author never comes back, like mental health issues happen, life, life emergencies happen. Don't feel like you can't take a break. But if like we all collectively just continually are never transparent in our communication and never follow through on our promises, that makes this market much much tougher for a reader to trust. Yeah. But we are slowly seeing that change. And I think maybe slowly is becoming quicker. And we're also seeing a lot more authors who are really taking this very seriously yeah. enter into it. So I think we'll prove Daniel wrong. Yeah. But very good point bringing that up. And I think one way that we can do that is what I'm planning on doing with my books once I was going to do it once they're out of Kindle Unlimited, but I want to give Kindle Unlimited one more shot with my complete edition of my trilogy that's coming out in the summer, which is like a fat book, so it might actually be worth the reads. But once I start my subscription, while I'm going to start doing an early access with like fresh new content, if you're on Ream or you're on Patreon, put just put your backlist up there. But on the free platforms... If you're willing to do that and you're willing to take that chance, if you, like me, need a bit wider readership, go and post them one by one. Yeah. Because then not only will you get a bit wider of a reach 
of people who book funnel has an audience. After you do a certain amount of book funnels, like I'm already at that point. Like I will get 30 people that clicked on my book funnel book and it's like, all right, all but two of you are already on my list. And like, yeah. they might just be a freebie hunter. They might've read it a long time ago and be clicking on it again because they forgot or they are just clicking on every th- single thing on there. If you experiment with each of these subscription platforms, these free, the or sorry, the free reader platforms, um, again, like we were talking about, you're going to find maybe this one's not where my audience is, but maybe this one is. Yeah. And you also, part, part of the reason why I'm gravitating towards subscription content is out of pure laziness. Posting is your marketing, which is what I was talking about earlier with directing people to your story. All of these serial free platforms, they have audiences baked in. There are people that are not like on TikTok. There is a Wattpad talk. There are people that they don't read books. They read Wattpad. They're always on Wattpad. And TikTok is just a way for them to find the other stories on Wattpad that are what they like. And so if you're posting on Wattpad, there are people on there that are just going to find it. If you're posting on Literatica, if you're posting on Royal Road, there are people there who have found stories that they like. And if you've already, like I have written three or four books, not made a ton of money off of them yet, and are looking into going to subscription, what better way to prime people for what you're launching your subscription with than taking your backlist, posting a chapter at a time, putting in author notes, uh, and hopefully not only gaining a community, but hopefully gaining people who go, I loved the story. I want to have this on my bookshelf. Yeah. They go and buy your book and maybe they even leave a review. And because mm-hmm. that's, oh, sure, they read your entire story for free, but then they turn into a fan or a super fan. They bought your paperback, maybe even your hardcover, which gives yes. you a better royalty share oh, yeah. than oh, an yeah. ebook or Kindle Unlimited points. And they're probably going to write a review, which, yeah. like, that's huge. Because readers now know that reviews do help. Yeah. A lot of them do. Yeah. And because if I don't have time to do a review the, as much as I wanted to, I at least leave a rating. Yes. Which they do that, like, that's that. huge. If I only have three or four reviews, if I see a book that doesn't have a ton of reviews, but has 500, 1,000, five-star ratings on it, that doesn't make much of a difference to me. That says, okay, that's good. It's yeah. a good sign. Yeah. No, that's, I think there's a ton, ton of great insights there. And what I want to now shift to is thinking about you have your tiers and mm-hmm. you don't want to make them overwhelming. And you also are wondering whether you should have one or two subscription platforms. And I figured maybe we could actually pull up your subscription and look at your tiers and think through whether what you should do with your tiers if you want to make them less overwhelming. Gotcha. And look through if they are overwhelming. So th- so the one that I have up will not be helpful for that because that okay. one is the is short, sweet, simple. I know what I want to do with it. Yeah. It's four tiers and that's all I need. The one that I'm still building content for my actual books. Yeah. Actually, I haven't figured out. We can edit this part out. I haven't figured out how to make a second ream yet. I don't know if that's something that I actually have to contact you guys about yet. Oh, or... I'll just whitelist your next email. Okay. That's how you gotcha. Do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I what I'm planning on doing is 
essentially I want to have starting out just early access one sci-fi one fantasy and so we've got two tiers there and then all access so you can read both if you want but then the other thing that I was talking about earlier was the audio component yeah yeah and so that would be its own tier but then I could that could just be early access but then there's also the author commentary Mm. so that's five and as I was thinking about that, I think possibly a good way to do this, which I think maybe you guys have commented on, not dived deep into yet, but maybe just mentioned here and there, is a rollout phase, which uh, yeah, a yeah. staggered rollout. Because I think that, at least for me, the way that I can do things is... Start out with my audio, because that's the one that I'm going to have soonest. And that's the one that I can, I have my existing material. I can just throw up my back matter. Hey, you can listen to the audio early access. You can also read ahead if you want to. There you go. And maybe put that up for three months. See how it does. Hopefully it'll do pretty well. Yeah, yeah. But then regard, and that would be early access audio and then the audio commentary. And I think I'd probably do those as where the audio commentary includes the early access as yeah. well. Excuse me. So that's just two tiers. Yeah. And then once I have, excuse me, sorry about that. Okay. Once I have my next story ready, I go ahead and that's probably going to be sci-fi. Go ahead and put up the early access sci-fi tier. Yeah. And then after that, I would ideally roll out my fantasy tier. And so then that's four tiers, but staggered. I like that a lot. And then you have the fifth all-access one. I like that a real lot because my general advice is to decrease the time and stress that you have from going from, I don't have a subscription set up, to making your first dollar, to having your first subscriber. And just thinking about it, having all these different tiers it's very difficult to even test what's working and what kind of like we were talking about earlier with all these different serial fiction platforms and marketing methods. How do you know which marketing methods working? Likewise, you don't know what tier is working if you launch with 12. You're not talking about launching yeah, with 12. Yeah, exactly. But if you were, you would have no idea which one's really attracting readers because you not only get them overwhelmed, but in and, and any subscription platform, the first tier they're most likely to see is the first one shows up, which in everyone I've looked at, Basically, it's sorted based on price. So they'll see the cheapest one first. That's designed to try and get people into your subscription, then they can upgrade later. But that means that all that other tiers, there's a chance they don't even look at it. Like you could have these three or four high tiers that your fans really want, but they might not have even signed up immediately, which there's nothing wrong with that. But how I usually recommend doing these things, because I've seen authors actually in the process of migrating, let's say from Patreon to Ream, in that process, they will actually talk about their other tiers more. And their existing fans who will look at the tiers more closely, who've already been in it, will upgrade at a much higher rate. It's a very, it's a nice side effect. (laughs) It's something we observed like on like day one with Amelia's audience and have continued to see over and over again, Mm -hmm. more and more authors. What that means to me is that it literally takes time to 
educate your readers on all the tiers you have. And most of the time, the problem isn't even necessarily having too much tiers. It's not subtly driving awareness of different tiers to readers who are already in your subscription, what we call like yeah. upselling once they're in. So the biggest thing would be in the beginning to have the marketing challenge of trying to drive people at these higher tiers or audio tiers and try and get people in at the ebook tiers and everything at once is a lot. So first mm -hmm. just test and see, yeah, what is the demand for audio? Yeah. You'll know it, those people will be in. Then you could do the ebook early access release with sci-fi and fantasy. You might do sci-fi first then fantasy or reverse. Then you test that out. And that could be literally something you roll out over the period of half a year. This isn't something you have to do like in succession week one, week two. I would never really recommend making tier changes, like opening up a new tier more than like once a month, unless there's a really huge rapid growth or huge expansion or change in your business yeah. going on. So giving yourself one month to come out with a new tier or two, depending on like the phased rollout, I think is the best way to go about it. And then you can let the fans know who are already subscribed to you in those first two tiers about that phased rollout and see what that response is to it. That is so helpful, especially as you one day have these like higher ticket tiers. Yeah. That'll be like huge. Yeah, and the the so the other part where whether or not I think I need to have two rings or yeah. two subscription platforms. Yeah, yeah. So that part comes in with the bonus content that I was talking about earlier because for me, I do a lot of world building for my stuff because I want to have a lot of stories set in the same world. And so that's just put in a little bit more effort to polish it off. And I can have something up there for my readers that I know that they would be interested in because it's something I'd be interested in. Yeah. And the issue, though, where that comes as far as not complicating a subscription platform, though, is where... I don't want to just have a bonus content tier or like an early access bonus content tier because I, my end goal is I actually went to school not for anything related to writing, but for music. So uh, I want yeah, to start yeah. out with little word world building articles. This is what was happening at this time in this place. Here's a little bit about the culture. Here's a nice map for you. Maybe down the line, here's some artwork. If I can find a good artist and afford them. And, and then, maybe music too. And then here is the theme for this culture or this nation or this. Here's a song that they. Here's one of their folk songs. Or by the end of this decade, yeah. you'll be able to <laughs> tell a no-code video game generation machine to create you, pump in all of your content, and it'll yeah. create you. A <laughs> world. I swear, by the end of this decade, that'll happen. So there's gonna be a lot of change. So thinking just to the future of where you might expand bonus content. Thinking about like Ream, like internally, I just know that we're going to make a simpler version to display a lot of tiers. So if you had like maybe like more content story focused tiers, mm -hmm. bonus content focused tiers, there will be a way to display that that's much simpler than okay. we have now. Like where we intentionally built a system that readers and authors would feel familiar with at this stage, okay. but two or three years from now, will probably not look anything like it does today. Hopefully That's a lot awesome. better. I guess my first thing on that, knowing that you're talking to someone who can influence how this looks for you, we should definitely, I think, from your own perspective, it's way easier to manage one room. It's way easier to have one community. Yeah. And you are able to manage unlimited tiers from one room where you can segment out posts, segment out chapters. There's no reason you can't have it. It just becomes more of this content overload point from like the 
subscriber standpoint when they're there. Yeah. Another thing as well is someone might want to be part of two tiers in that world, right? Yeah. And right now, and this is true for every subscription platform, you can only be signed up for one tier. But that feels wrong because there's at least a million reasons I could think of why someone would want to be signed up for two mm-hmm. tiers. Trust me, like it's something that could happen. So if we can accomplish both of those things, which I don't want to put like a timeline on things, we have a very long list of things to do, but that that is two things that will happen. Okay, see that I actually didn't know. Yeah. So I didn't know you could only be subscribed to a single tier. That's <laughs> news to everyone. Yeah, that's actually true across wow. every platform I've ever heard of or seen. And we want to change that about our platform, but that's a pretty big infrastructure change. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll do it. But we first want to release support for pen names, admins, a lot of other things to do. Yeah. But that is on our list. In addition, like right now, you can only have one author have like royalties in a tier. But I could see a future where you might want to have splitting royalties between maybe you and you work with a producer, for mm-hmm. instance, on your music tier, or the artist itself you split royalties yeah. with on. Now you might they might not want to do that, but if that artist is like in your community and sort of passionate what you're doing, it's almost a collaboration. These are the types of things I see happening. We don't allow royalty splits at the moment on tiers. No one else does. That's like very that's just a hard thing to do. But these are all things oh, yeah. that like <laughs> thinking about like the three to five year future will be possible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thinking about today, frankly, if you want to do this today, you would have to. Okay. Because you would not be able to have a fan beyond the bonus content, early mm-hmm. access tiers. Okay. And that would be, I think, a bad idea for you because yeah. you're going to have people interested in both and you deserve to get paid for both. So, yeah, that's my big advice right now. Like, just functionally, you would need to have to. As time goes on, I think it would be more advantageous to have one once the kind of technology limits are okay. not And there. then would you say the same excuse me, say the same thing for a kind of hybrid nonfiction and fiction thing where basically what I want to eventually do is build my book with me because that because mm-hmm. that would basically be here's the book i'm writing let me take you through my process so it's behind the scenes yeah. for people who are a fan of my work but then it could also potentially be here's an example writing process for other authors that who may not care about reading my work yeah i would say with that because that's probably going to be like a higher ticket item at 50 dollars a month i'm imagining yeah. Maybe even more. Maybe you want to do it a hundred, but mm-hmm. that's definitely that's a very valuable thing. My personal kind of recommendation with that is that having that on the same one makes sense, even in a world in which you can only subscribe to one tier at a time, mm-hmm. because you can easily give them all formats. They're literally helping you create it. Yeah. That seems fair to me. Yeah, <laughs> and I would imagine that people would want to have access to the things that they help create, even if they're maybe not a sole fan of yours. That's I fair. feel like most of them would be anyways, mm-hmm. but even if they're not. That's a very small edge case of someone who like literally doesn't care about the other tiers at all, wants that tier, and to be honest, like in their situation, it's this is what the tier costs anyway. So what I would just make sure when you price that tier, bake in the fact that they're gonna get all the things in the other tiers as well, so that this is like a true like high ticket item that someone might okay. want. Now I wouldn't count physical goods in that, obviously. Oh yeah. Everything digital I would give them because they're like literally in the world with you, especially if they're gonna like help you. You have no idea of them just experiencing your backlist, for instance, if that's there. All these other things that are there. That could be really useful for you. Okay. Awesome. That would be my advice on that. But you could, and people listening might have a different approach to that. Just be like my logic on that. Gotcha. Awesome. <laughs> We've covered, we covered a lot of ground. I think the last thing that you were curious about, although there might be more, mm-hmm. which I, we can keep going, but it was the 
developing a community or a reader group. Yes. Focus. Yeah, that is something that for me, I am just like, I wouldn't say terrified, but it's the whole go to a signing and no one shows up sort of thing. Like at what one for, a, that's one part of it. For one, it's a, when do you start that Facebook group that you can hopefully have some of your subscribers going, hey, you should check out his subscription. It's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, also yeah, let's yeah. just talk about his book. And then the second part of that is, I think Discord is usually the platform that people use for their Patreon subscribers to foster a community. Managing that just seems terrifying to me. <laughs> Discord's interesting because I've seen more dead discords for authors than active really? ones. It depends on the genre. Lit RPG and fantasy, definitely that readership's more in tune mm -hmm. with Discord. But for like Disney romance, it depends. That's a huge market with a lot of diverse readers, obviously. Yeah. But Facebook tends to be more the home for them. Okay. Now that will be changing. There will be new community platforms. There already is like a lot mm -hmm. of upstarts too that compete with Discord. So it's tough to say where things will be. But what I would suggest is that you don't necessarily have to create a community just for you. I've also seen tons of dead communities around like a specific author's content that haven't been able to be successful. I've seen a lot on the other end of the extreme. It's tough. Now, if I was like looking to really build, I think, a very durable community that would attract like lots of super fans at the content I produce and actually be like a funnel for new fans, I yeah. think it would be very wise to create a community focused on a subgenre, the subgenre that you may be right in okay. for your specific audience, right? That you might not, there might not be a home for those readers everywhere. So I mm -hmm. want to come to your land to hang out. And then, yeah, they end up, you're going to be end up being the place that they'll find some books from you and they'll read it because you're the one running it. You'll build trust in it. But it doesn't have to become this whole pressure to have all the talk to be about your work, all the talk to be about this. And then you are able to actually work with other authors. An example awesome. of this is Ashling and Shelby Lee, Ashling Elizabeth and Shelby Lee, two authors in the Subscriptions for Authors Facebook group. And they actually started an author group that's an offshoot of descriptions for authors. It's totally been approved because I've worked with them for a while and they're awesome. They've taken the lead and crushed it. It's called Subscribe to the Dark Love. And Okay, yeah, I think I saw their yeah, post about that. It's just for dark romance authors. And then off of that, they're creating a dark romance reader group that's okay. for subscription authors that they'll all be collaborating on. Oh, nice. Now, Shelby does have her own reader group. Ashling does have her own reader group. But, I mean, they're even seeing with their own reader groups that there's a lot of opportunity to just create a collaborative group. So I would say, like, before you do your own thing, collaborate mm -hmm. with others. That's what okay. King's about. Yeah. And then, yeah, if that's going really well, people are, like, just really want to talk about your books more, then just like like Descriptions for Authors Facebook group, there's the big group, and now there's that little group that's, compared to the big group, focus on dark love and dark romance, I should say. Sorry, subscribe to the dark love. And... That's something that your then community could become an offshoot of the bigger genre because you're not going to define, yeah. even if your book defines the genre, there will be other authors in that genre, yeah. undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be like my approach to it. If you're building a community, build a community of authors as well. Build a real community of readers that's focused on providing value to them so that there's a reason that you would join the group even if you like weren't like a fan of you because then otherwise your community won't be a place of discovery, which is fine. I really think that's fine. Mm. But I think everything an author does ideally somehow circles back to getting them paid and getting them more fans. It can yeah. follow that flywheel and there's a more direct correlation there. So that would be 
Okay. My approach to it. I like that. And then the other part of that was for, because I'm sure I'm not the only author in this situation, but for authors who have yeah. a not safe for work pen name, one, and especially if you don't want that associated with your main pen name, whether it's because you write sweet romance and you don't want that meshing with yeah. with your steamier content or you write stuff that's IA or something like that. You just do not want any crossover. If you want to create a Facebook group or a Facebook page for your author that's like a fi- or for your pen name that's a fan page, you have to be the one like there has to be an actual Facebook profile hosting that. And I know some people have been able to get through and be like, oh, yeah, this is a person Facebook. Facebook, it, their BS meter is on point for me. <laughs> Apparently, they just know that my pen name is fake. But so have you ever have you seen any good strategies to get around that or any other communities uh, I, where you can do that? Yeah, I would say I can't. I, I don't know and probably shouldn't give advice on, like, getting around Facebook's terms that of service. That is fair. <laughs> um, especially because it'll change. That um, is fair. I think my advice would be one of two things this instance. One is that obviously the issue here is creating like a profile for your pen name. And that means yeah. that you don't have a presence for that pen name on Facebook at the moment. Yeah. So that that's obviously something that um, might make Facebook then not the platform for you. But there's so many other, I can think of tons of places where there's Demi Romance communities. It's, they're everywhere. That might then mean that actually Discord does become the place that you focus on. Okay. Because Discord's better about that. Maybe you use something like Geneva or Mighty Networks. If you're working with another group of authors, it's less mm-hmm. interesting than to be like, oh, we're just here. So, no, we're all going to do this together. This is all a place we get access to. And to be frank as well, with Facebook's policies, I'm never going to sit here and say they're a champion of steamy romance content and the conversations yeah, no, they're that not. might want to yeah. go on in these communities. They're not at all. So yeah. they might, like Facebook, although a lot of people use it, is definitely where I think a lot of the communities happen today. I don't know if that'll be the place that happens tomorrow. And given it used to be not as stringent too with these policies around mm-hmm. profiles, but I've just continually heard all these bad stories. It's something that... I would recommend going to Geneva, Mighty Network, Circle, or Discord. Those four, pl- one of those four platforms. Readers nowadays, Discord is something that's like mainstream at this point. Yeah. So, it's not. It's free. All these places are free. Mm-hmm. So it, the tough part is you do have to then learn a new platform as an author. But that's then where collaboration can help because maybe you find an author that actually knows a bit about Discord, can handle a lot of the Discord admin stuff. Maybe you're focused more on the content brainstorming or responding to the comments, the community. So you can divide and conquer in that sense. So it's not all on you. And then in the process, as you'll become more familiar with Discord, I do think as well, from a community standpoint, Facebook isn't that great. Groups are really good for forums. Mm -hmm. They definitely are like the modern day forums. But in terms of one-on-one relationship building and being able to have conversations, that's not really what Facebook's built no, for. No, yeah, that is true. And reader cunies, I think, are less forum-based at their core, even though a lot take place on Facebook. Like, they're definitely more suited for conversations and sharing. Yeah. So I think Discord has a much better setup for that, and it's free to use for everyone. Yeah. So I think that would be my answer okay. for sure. And yeah, I've even seen... Like, I'm in Brian McClone's reader group, and he has that on Slack. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd recommend Slack, personally. Yeah. I didn't mention it only because Slack, 
for those who are thinking about some people might love Slack, but I think that's usually used more for like work. Arc and Beta. Oh, Arc and Beta. But okay, yeah, yeah. Like if you're like really yeah, doing yeah. that, it's more associated with like work in a sense yeah. because it's a enterprise SaaS platform, and I don't think anyone would want like their books and their reader relationship be associated with work and a lot of readers like literally might use slack and have like their work slack be right there like one click away that doesn't feel calming to me yeah at all <laughs> so i definitely think like discord is typically like more all-purpose yeah and, and it, yeah and it seems more in informal and people are using it that's the key thing people are actually opening the app people are actually yeah. using it because people talk about algorithms all the time and like how the facebook algorithm suppresses your content it's very true and you don't always get to reach your audience but if you have a thousand people who use an app and only a hundred people open it each day, then that's you're going to see a low reach, and it's nothing the app can do about it. There's no algorithm suppressing your content. Yeah. The behavior isn't there. But I think the behavior has shifted towards Discord pretty mightily. You'll just have to note that, like, probably the reader demographics that are going to be most interested would be like Gen Z, millennials, maybe Gen Xers. Yeah. There, there's certain readers that might not be as familiar. Yeah. Although I like those reader demographics for me. Those are the ones that like to buy books and have big bookshelves and show off books. So. I, I would say it's <laughs> shocking that like the younger generations are truly, I think, spending like an amount of money on content broadly, where Gen Z even says that like they're the most likely out of all generations to pay for content. Yeah. That's wild to me because they have obviously the least spending power right now. Millennials are also very likely to pay for content. Who's actually least likely to pay are baby boomers. Um, which no no shade that's all good but i think our younger generation in an in age of free content everywhere has been trained that good content is worth paying for so yeah. it's very interesting oh yeah no because yeah my i know my grandparents won't even they'll go there's nothing good on tv and they will not try to set up a netflix subscription or anything like that yeah. <laughs> even if i'm like the exact show you are talking about that you want to come back is right here yeah, it's definitely generational differences in reading and behavior. Even like CUNY, for instance, is not something that, like by and large, I think that is something that a more younger demographic is more yeah. interested in to begin with, a more like internet native generation. And I think that's also, we see like in the Facebook group, actually, what's really interesting is like our Facebook group, I believe, skews younger than the broader community. Not by a ton, but... probably I think I would agree with that. I just know, I'm just like on the back end, I see the demographics mm. and our average age is 30 to 40, where, and that's like our strongest age. And we have a good bit of people 20, 30. We have a bunch of people 40 to 50, but 65 plus, like, I, and I know many 65 plus people in our community who are listening, and you're awesome. I love you. But I also know that some of you have literally told me that you feel like there's not a lot of us around here in the subscription land. And statistically, it's true. They're actually in our Facebook group of 2,000 people. It's like a very tiny percentage, 65 plus, and I would bet you that 20 bucks 50k has a higher proportion. I, I, yeah. I'm not, I think people can succeed and be a part of online communities and be subscription authors at all different ages, but there definitely is, and data to back this up, a generational propensity to have certain online behavior oh, yeah. that other generations might have less of a propensity for, which I find frankly fascinating because going into it, I was very aware of kind of like the average demographics, the author community. And I think this hasn't skewed wildly young, mind you. This has skewed younger than I thought. And maybe me and Amelia being younger have a sort of something to do with that. I also do think it's a subscription thing. Oh, yeah. Because that, yeah, that's something that, like, and you, not even with just, like, content, but with, like, food or clothing yeah. or that's something where if my parents or someone, like, a little bit older than 
me or my friends hears about it, they'll be like, that's strange. I guess that's a neat idea of you getting a subscription for your food. And then if it's something, someone my age, someone younger, they're like, oh yeah, I, I get all my clothes through ThreadUp. I get my my food through HelloFresh or whatever it is. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, it's how I do my life. Like I, I watch my YouTube channel that I'm subscribed to. I just do everything based on subscription because that's something that was not even really as prevalent with me growing up. I don't think like 90s kids saw that too much no because it wasn't even really possible yeah like if you were to subscribe to something before the internet it was a newspaper or a magazine yeah and you'd have to like send in yeah the bill. Like, i had lego magazine that's that was my subscription and the payment process because it wasn't like really all that automatic oftentimes was cumbersome but it, a lot of financial technology and they still have a long way to go but fintech platforms have really enabled like a lot of new business models and it's something too that has been a lot of pressure put towards as well with like app store policies and things of that sort like people might wonder why amazon shifted to kind limited and there, there's m- many reasons but one of the huge ones was every time someone has to buy in the kindle app if they're buying content they have to pay a 30 percent fee in reality, Amazon doesn't let them pay that 30% fee to Apple. Yeah. In reality, they redirect them to the site and then have them purchase. But they see conversions probably go down by over half that way. Yeah. Because it's oh, yeah. less convenient. I mean, when I finish a book that I have bought that is not in Kindle Unlimited, there's always, and I want to go on to the next one, there's always that, <sighs> I have to go okay, back. Yeah. I have to open it up on my browser and make sure the browser doesn't immediately take me into the Amazon yeah, app. Yeah, yeah. And or I just you know what I'm gonna put my phone down I'm gonna go on my computer and do it like tomorrow morning I'm just and not then gonna read some people don't tonight. get back to it yeah. as you get back to the next book in the TBR and that's why KU is a program that you pay for it once on the site but now you get access to all these books just in the app and it reduces friction and you've seen that Kobo Plus is the same way mm-hmm. obviously so there's a reason for all of these things and even something funny about Ream because people ask us like are you in the app store? And the answer is no, we're not. But we have an app. You can download the app. But we download it directly from the site. And I won't get like super nerdy about the back-end technology behind it. But clearly, like people need to be able to subscribe to our authors on our site frictionlessly. And mm-hmm. what we've realized was like we would be creating a sort of experience that like the reason why you can find new authors frictionlessly on Amazon because you don't have to pay them. You're going from one KU author to another and you're never opening up your credit card. But that is not the system we want to create. We want to create a system where people directly support creative people, which means they're, when they go to that next person, going to have to pay. There's nothing wrong with that. Consumers are open to doing it, not open to going to another app, being redirected and redirected again, that whole process. And there's multiple things and we'll continue improving over time. But that is actually the biggest reason why we at this stage have a new web app technology that we utilized that allows you to still access it on the phone, still even have push notifications, which we'll be rolling out, but not actually be in the store because we avoid that 30% fee. And that fee is huge. And there's a lot of other companies have done this. Uber's done this before. Like this is a common thing. But yeah, it's crazy how these like little things shift like huge decisions to how companies work because this Mm -hmm. has been like, if you are a digital first company, you want to avoid those payment processing fees in the app because they destroy your margins. They destroy what creative people can make. So people got creative. So it's obviously the subscription model broadly. It's just something people are used to now. Yeah. It's very interesting. So hopefully that's 
good for us because people just become more and more used to it. And then hopefully when all of us now who are going, hey, let's get into this, are a bit more established, we will hopefully see something like the Kindle boom where a lot of people started going, oh, I need to get a Kindle. I need yeah. to get all these ebooks. I need, hey, these are not as expensive as traditional books. I need to do this. And we'll hopefully see a lot of people going, here's this subscription platform where I don't just get a book. I get to interact with the author. I maybe get bonus content. I get access to their backlist. And, oh, there's a bunch of other authors on these platforms. Like that, that could be really great for us if people just keep getting more and more used to subscriptions as the way to consume content, not just through visual and audio media, but through yeah. reading. I also think that the place that stories have in people's lives has fundamentally shifted from 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you'd go to an indie bookstore, probably like in person or maybe a big chain bookstore, but even probably that's 40 years ago, 30 years ago, big chain bookstores were at their peak. But regardless, you would go in person, buy a book, you'd read that book and you would still spend maybe time with your family in front of the television. You would spend time at the dinner table with your family and all these things. You have social interactions. People would go YMCA, club sports. All of these activities are drastically down. It's wild to see. Robert Putnam wrote a book on this 20 years ago called Bowling Alone. It's basically about the degradation of CUNY in America 20 years ago. Since then, I think by all accounts, it's gotten only much worse. Yeah. So we basically live in a world where when people are consuming your stories, the place that it has in their lives is so much more profound. It becomes, especially now because more stories are personalized, more niche than ever because of indies, like people make their friends through reading, which this has always happened, but this is now just more common yeah. than ever. You And it's now easier to do that too because there are existing platforms easier. to just connect with other readers, exactly. other fandoms. And the value proposition of reading has fundamentally changed because it's not just about escaping into a great story and taking up some of your entertainment time. It's true, like social connection, belonging, and status, which are some of the highest order human needs, which means that people are actually willing to pay a lot more for fiction than we think, because what we're able to do when we actually control that customer relationship and can give them some of those things is provide a much, much more valuable experience. And we've seen this movement in other industries, and I won't go on a, a rant about it, but if you're interested in the adult film industry, that has happened there. And I'm sure everyone knows what I'm referencing, <laughs> but it's been a huge deal. Yeah, and what with stories holding a much more important place in people's hearts, just yeah. for me at oh, least. Oh, big time, big time. That's something where, I don't know if Charleston is the same, might be a similar thing, but I grew up in an area where the demographic is not very diverse. I went to a school where the demographic is not very diverse. It was very much a bubble, and it fed people to other bubbles. And so for me, a lot of the way that I was able to get into other people's heads, was who I fiction. may not have met, was through fiction. And yeah. now that we have more people of color, people of other groups, like people with certain with dyslexia, with certain mental disorders, if they are still called that. If that's not the politically correct way, I apologize. People but sometimes would say neurodivergent. Neurodivergent, yes. Yeah. People whose experiences are different than our yes, own. Yes, yes. That is how I learn through that. That is how yeah, totally. I go, oh, this is what this person is like. I haven't encountered a person like this before because I haven't either been to that part of the country where these people live or I have not been to their country. Yes, yeah. And 
that's not something I'm going to be able to realistically do for a while, but I can maybe get a little bit better than I was by reading about it. And that's something that, because that has had such a huge impact on me, that's what I seek to do with my books. Like I want to draw from as many different cultures as I can to maybe one, just have somebody go, this is a person that's different from me, but they're not so different. Like I can relate to them. Yeah, we all have something super to different. relate to. Yeah. And then also just like with one, one of my favorite series ever is Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah. And yeah, something yeah. that was super cool for me was there's the group of people that's the sea kin in that where they're based, I think, heavily off of South Asian cultures. They have part of their culture is tattooing. That's basically a reference to henna tattooing and certain piercings having different meanings. And I just remember on a Reddit thread, somebody going, my culture does that. That's so awesome to see this in a fantasy book. I don't see that much. And like, I, if somebody, if I can write something where just some person says, hey, this isn't something that I've seen in a fantasy book before, but it's something I'm familiar with. That's awesome. I will be happy about that. And the reverse is true as well. By having someone who is not familiar with what you're writing, be exposed to it. When someone sees that in the real world, instead of feeling like, oh, that's so different, that's so yeah, othering, go, right? I will go, wait, I, I, read, I read about yeah. this. Like this, that's cool. I yeah, don't know more about that. Exactly. It comes from a place of like love rather than a more divisive place that we could often get to when we don't really empathize with others because that's what fiction does. It brings us in a space where we can actually be inside the character's mind and I've heard it described by like story science theorists as like basically an empathy machine. That's what these yeah. things do. And there's really nothing else in this world like reading fiction or listening to fiction that really does that. So it's a really special thing. And I think that you know, there's a lot of converging things that make a lot of opportunity for authors. But it all goes back to creating amazing things which people want to read, which brings me to where can we read your stories. Yeah, my stories are the main place I would just go is my website, spencerrussellsmith.com. I have all my social links there. You can find me on TikTok as Spencer Smith author, on Instagram as Spencer Russell Smith author, wordy name. You got to get the full. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, maybe in a very short amount of time after this comes out, I'll have a YouTube channel. It'll probably be Spencer Russell Smith. But yeah, if you go to my website, you'll be able to find my most recent book as well as the other three out that I've written. For anybody wondering, I write space opera and science fantasy. Going to go into just fantasy soon. But my most recent books are about three women who are all at odds with each other right when the world ends. And there is a lot of Magitech, hard magic systems, LGBTQ representation, found family, And it basically just explores who is really to blame for our actions and when do we need to take responsibility, even if we can shift out of that. I love it. And it's a really fun series that was supposed to be one book and a short little novella and ended up being four novels. Relatable. That happens. Yeah. That happens. And there's just going to be a lot more in that world. And you're going to hopefully find a lot more content from me as things go forward consistent and he will under promise and over deliver (laughs) thank you so much for being here this was an awesome yeah this was awesome
definitely excited to be here. And that's it for this episode. Once again, huge thank you to Spence for coming on and diving so deep with us. Like, there's a benefit to these two-hour podcasts. I know they're long, but when we go so deep with someone and get to really learn through what they're thinking, how they're going through things, how they're going to grow their subscription, what their worries are, what their hopes are, it makes it just so much easier for us to all approach our own subscriptions and our author journeys. At least, that's my hope. But I hope you all are having an amazing week slash weekend, depending on when you listen to this, since folks might be listening to this way in the future. We have a lot of exciting things that we're working on behind the scenes. Literally, like, more, more than I can even share. But all I'll say is that the best is yet to come, and that our commitment this year at Ream is to move faster, focus even more, and build a 10x better subscription platform for authors. Not just better, 10x better. That's our goal, and I think we're off to a good start. We'll start sharing some things soon. In the meantime, hope everyone has an amazing rest of their day. And don't forget, don't forget, this is super important because we're dedicating our lives to this mission, okay? This is what we want to do. This is how we want to change publishing. And you all are doing it with us because, because this is what we want to do. We want to create a future where storytellers of the world. And you are those storytellers. And it's why you can't ever forget, ever, that you rule the world. That storytellers rule the world. I'll see you all next time.